action in the street is exciting But Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting I've been reading and writing We need to handle our financial situation Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? A past patiently waiting and passionately smashing Every expectation, every action to act of creation I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow For the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's deep dive, we will be focusing on the end of Act 1, Song 24, or 25. Nonstop. And yes, only nonstop. Just the As one, <laughs> one song, but not a, not a shorter podcast. One song, not a shorter podcast. As per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter how or where you've experienced Hamilton, this is the perfect place for you to be. As always, Let's Dive Deep contains adult content, like seemingly forgetting you're married for an entire song, despite the fact that the last two songs you almost redeemed yourself. Anyways, you probably shouldn't uh, play this podcast around children. It shouldn't be too bad, but I don't recommend it on the whole. Additionally, Let's Dive Deep Hamilton does contain spoilers. While our focus each episode is a specific set of songs, or in this case, one, we will always take into (laughs) account the entire musical to add context to our discussion. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can find other Let's Dive Deep series in your favorite podcatcher. Up to the point of recording this, I've also completed a deep dive into the first season of Bridgerton. If you would like to enjoy that, you can just search Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton. And finally, please do not throw away your shot. If you are having a good time, or if you're even not having a good time, I don't really care. Go and leave us those five-star reviews wherever you are listening to this. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Let's Dive Deep, and send in your questions and comments to letsdiveDeeppod at gmail.com. This is especially important because now you've had two chances, one last week and one this week, to send in your questions for our kind of mid-musical Q&A session we're going to be doing in between acts here. So feel free to send those questions into letsdiveDeeppod at gmail.com. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Get those in. This is going to be fun. Anyway, okay, that's all the touring. We are done. Let's kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine. And let's dive deep into Hamilton. Alexander. Aaron Burke. Sir. Well, it's the middle of the night. Can we confer, sir? Is this a legal matter? Yes, and it's important to me. What do you need? Burr, you're a better lawyer than me. Okay. I know I talk too much. I'm abrasive. You're incredible in court. You're succinct, persuasive. My client needs a strong defense. You're the solution. Uh, who's your client? The new U.S. Constitution. No. Hear me <laughs> out. No way. A series of essays anonymously published defending the document to the public. No one will read it. I disagree. And if it fails? Burr, that's why we need it. The Constitution's a mess. So it needs amendments. It's full of contradictions. So is independence. We have to start somewhere. No, no way. You're making a mistake. Good night. Hey, what are you waiting for? 
What do you stall for? What? We won the war. What was it all for? Do you support this constitution? Of course. Then defend it. And what if you're backing the wrong horse? Burr, we studied and we fought and we killed for the notion of a nation we now get to build. For once in your life, take a stand with pride. I don't understand how you stand to the side. I'll keep all my plans close to my chest. Wait for me. I'll wait here and see which way the wind will blow. I'm taking my time watching the afterbirth of a nation watching the tension grow. to London. I am accompanied by someone who always pays. I have found a wealthy husband who will keep me in comfort for all my days. He is not a lot of fun, but there's no one who can match you for turn of phrase. My Alexander, Angelica. don't forget to Okay, so this podcast, for the first time in Let's Dive Deep Hamilton history, and maybe this is impromptu, so who knows, maybe the final time in Let's Dive Deep Hamilton history, we are covering just one song, and boy is it a doozy. Nonstop is an absolutely exquisite and just incredible end to Act 1 here. We talked a little bit last week about some of the homework you had given me, about how Latin it feels, about how there are some similarities between this and In the Heights, and I'm sure we'll we'll talk about all of those, but this is going to be a two-plus-hour conversation about one song that could honestly be four or five songs. So what are your general impressions of, of Nonstop, just right off the top? Right out of the gate it's staggering just how much they cram into six minutes of performance. This is in, in a way the only song that does what it does in the show. Um, you, that and it doesn't feel like Alexander Hamilton. Now I know that the, the opening track does cover a lot of time, but this song just by virtue of being at the end of act one, does it in a completely unique way, right? A completely different way. Unique is a binary condition. It's either unique or it's not. Anyway, so, <laughs> but yeah, so this is a this is a six-minute song, and it covers six years of time, and never once does it really feel like just plain exposition. It's it it always feels dynamic, it always feels electric. Even it's- when even when Burr drops into plain speech later on, it still feels as energetic as the rest of the number. I think it's very character driven. I think if I had to pick like a kind of a base of operation for nonstop, it feels very like everything that happens to or to our characters or everything that our characters are doing makes a lot of sense based on how we know the characters from the musical. So it's really a song where the characters seem to be informing what's happening which is very it's a sign of really good writing because in real life like when you go to write this musical the events have already happened and you're kind of attributing some of it back to the characters so when you go Mm -hmm. to write this it's happening almost in reverse but the way it feels is that these characters are being very true to themselves and very true to how we how we know them but also like it's very character driven with all of these characters trying to find their place in this new world after the war it's it's just incredible yeah, it feels like each character is activating the next step of the song in an organic and logical way. It never feels like you just had to grab a character and say, oh, they're the ones that can 
that can move us along here. Let's get Eliza because it makes sense for her to move the the plot along. It does feel like it. Everything is coming organically from them. Nothing feels forced. You know, I like that it, a lot. It's a, it's a it's hard to do though. It's really hard to do because within the song you still have all of the things. You like this song still serves a function on the stage of wrapping up an act. So you still have to have all these things that are there because we need them to be there. And the fact that it doesn't at all feel like that is just and 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 the amount I, I know this is true for all the songs, but it's it's one of these numbers where you really notice it. Just the amount of synergy between the the cast and the lighting people and the costume people and the choreo people and the and the the live musicians that are there. This song just it's it's really good on the soundtrack. It's very very good. It pops off when you watch the Disney Plus version or see it live. It hits like especially with this cast, it just hits another level that I think it's like a state like you can only you only can capture it with this this crew of people in this way and I I think I think because I'm talking mostly from the Disney Plus version, it's at like a, a super heightened experience than if you just listen to it on the soundtrack, where it's still really good, but the Disney Plus version of this just just pops right off the screen. It does. It's it's really energetic. It's it's really emotional. There's a there's a certain sense of aspiration to the entire number, a sense of ascendancy throughout, and we get you know we really get that at the end of the number, right? But it does. The whole number does have this pardon me, nonstop upward momentum to it. <laughs> and yeah. the fact that that is, is constant within 12 different scenes in this song, and I don't know how many different musical variations, but none of them, even when they drop in volume or they change orchestrations, they don't drop their energy, is, is an astounding thing to do, especially when we circle back to what you were saying about how the, the number does very effectively wrap up all of the storylines that we've been introduced to in act one because it does an efficient and deft job at not only dealing with hamilton we deal with almost everybody and it's done in a way where we don't pay attention to the fact that they're that it is housekeeping you know like that's that's what one example of why this song is such good writing to me is because it feels so evocative instead of explanatory. Yeah, and one of the things one of the things I, I messaged you when we were again we <laughs> each episode is like a whole conversation off <laughs> off the podcast before we even get to the podcast. And one of the things I messaged you is like it's incredible how this feels like one song, and then you pointed out like the underlying beat to it. So I encourage everyone, mm -hmm. um, especially if you've listened to In the Heights, like we told you to do last episode, uh, go and just really listen for the the beat that that flows through nonstop. It's the same general beat. It flows pretty much the whole whole time. One of the things Connor said, like in a very cheeky, punny way, was like, hey, it's like actually nonstop, which is awesome. And it changes orchestration, it changes instruments, it changes speed a little bit sometimes. But this song keeps the same beat throughout. And I didn't notice it consciously until you pointed it out. But subconsciously, it, it just really keeps that that energetic vibe going. Um, and it's a very, very smart choice to just have one kind of subtle underlying thing that stitches everything together. Because this song, like you mentioned, has like five, six, seven different scenes or even more different musical i don't know anything about music but like orchestrations maybe like, i don't know mm -hmm. what the word is right but that the underlying beat kind of stitches it all together 
And then everything on top of that, it, it, it can go wherever it wants because that beat is there to, to make it feel familiar. Yeah, even when that underlying rhythm falls out, you could tap it on your leg and it would still fit under whatever else is going on. You know, the, the, when it's Angelica and Eliza, if you wanted to, you could still tap that under that arpeggio that's going and it would still feel appropriate. You know, it's just, it's that first thing you, you hear in the song that syncopated after the war I went back to, you know, it's just, it's that beat. And it really does almost go through the whole track. It is a, it'll mess with your head. I think the first time you realize it, and it, it, it feels like a magic trick. Yeah. You, know, you have it's, to, it's, it's what I, it's why I call it the magic baseline. Like, I really do think there's something about it that one, just it is a, a cheat code for an emotional response. There's something about that driving energy that just works. But also, it's, it's a magic trick, how they fit it in underneath everything. It's wild. It, it's absolutely wild. Until you point it, like, but you hear it subconsciously. It's always there. And mm -hmm. nonstop always feels like you don't need to be analyzing it on a podcast like this to, to feel it. But once you notice it, it's very, like, it's hard not to notice it again. It's one of those. Um, once you hear it the first time, when you listen to nonstop again, it's really, really hard not to just hear it. It almost rises to the, the top of the the orchestration when you listen to it. Like, when I listen to it now, it's so noticeable to me that I hear it kind of almost at the top, right? Whereas before, I, I wouldn't have even been able to tell you it existed. Right. And I, w I wonder if I've actually done you a disservice pointing it out, you know, because now. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I don't think so, because I, I, I've, I, I haven't been like I listened to it three or four times just before we started this just to refresh, because it's been in real life time. It's been about two weeks since we recorded. So I, I did our notes. So I just wanted to kind of refresh. And every time like that's fucking awesome. Like I've never really once is. been like, oh, man, I wish you hadn't pointed that out. It's kind of ruining it for me. <laughs> I think I think if anything, you've enhanced the experience by pointing it out i hope i haven't ruined it though maybe i've just ruined it for people whoops <laughs> I, i've ruined no, nonstop for you. you i'm sorry <laughs> write us and tell us about it we'll address it on a q a episode yeah i am i'm really glad that you brought up the club and blackout again not just because of the magical baseline which is present in uh, in those songs as well but also just because i think that both of these end of act sequences are indicative of Lynn's ability to wrap everything up at once and it it's interesting for me I think to look at the end of In the Heights as he's kind of workshopping and getting ready for the the eventual masterpiece that Hamilton will will become because at the end of In the Heights you know we have our protagonist Usnavi and this is not going to be major huge spoilers I don't think but we we go ahead and tell you that there are spoilers, everybody. Um, <laughs> we have our protagonist, Usnavi, and we deal with him and his grandmother. And throughout the whole story, there's this big thing about who's won the lottery. And we answer that question at the end of Act One of In the Heights. And we also deal with a subplot between Nina and Benny, two characters in their will-they-won't-they they, Romeo and Juliet-ish story. And we also have a, a business in town that is shuttered right? Uh, Rosaria closes his, uh, or sells his cab company. And then the blackout is the power goes out. The power dies, right? They're powerless. And so you have all of these inversions. You have, you have a mix of things being inverted, things ending, and things being progressed and wrapped up. And, and we see them do the exact same thing in nonstop. And I think that's why 
it's such a compelling end of Act One number because it's not just about Hamilton. It's about everyone and everything around him. It's about the world around him coming to terms with him in this new environment of post-war America, right? I think it would be weaker if it was just about him and his new job. The fact that we pan the camera around and catch everybody, that's what makes it really dynamic. And and it's so efficient, right? George Washington, you wrap up his story, he has like, what, two lines? And then he joins the ensemble for parts of the song. Like he... Right, he pretty much just shows up and like they're asking me to lead. I'm doing the best I can. Like that's pretty much how he right. But that's enough for Lin Manuel. Like he's incredibly efficient because the song does center mostly around Hamilton and then like in lots of parts around Hamilton and and Burr as a character and Burr as the narrator. Right, but all of our other characters like Angelica comes up to say that she's found a husband. Washington comes up to say that they're asking him to lead, and they don't have a lot of lines. But yet it feels like. It feels like they've they've just told a whole story. It feels like mm-hmm. they've just like it's it'd be like if you got to the last chapter of a book and it was a paragraph long, but yet it feels like that was perfect. Like I don't need any more than that. Like that is that is enough to end this part of the musical. It's enough to get me to the next part of the musical. It doesn't take away from Hamilton and Burr as kind of the main two figures. Uh, it's just efficiency is something we've talked about a lot but it is really efficient so this song is six minutes um it's a packed six minutes but six minutes is not a long time to do six years and, and like a story wrap for all of our characters mm-hmm. i think it's successful because of the weight of everything that everyone in the song has to say you know everything that they contribute is crucially important none of none of it's chuff none of it's filler it's all crucially important right and i think we we get some great moments from that and we understand how this is the the world is changing it's it's not the world is not just turned upside down because the war is ending but because of all of the the life changes that are happening around hamilton it's interesting though that even with all of these people and give and sharing the stage with them and understanding what's going on in their life at this point of the plot. And like I said, I think that's important and, and impactful. Nonstop really does remind us, though, that Hamilton is Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical and Hamilton's musical in a, in a way that I think is unique in the American canon. I don't know if there's a show that is as much one person's show as this one is, if that makes sense. Sure, that makes sense to me. It's dynamically curious to me that 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 can be acknowledged, and I think it's true, right? That that can be true, and yet we don't feel like any of the other characters are not being served here. Because I do think they're adequately served very, very much. Yeah, I think part of that is expectation. Right, like we go, we're going. If you're seeing this, if you're what doesn't matter where, if you're watching the soundtrack, or if you're listening to the soundtrack, watching Disney Plus, or going live, right? The the freaking thing is called Hamilton, so you're expecting a lot of it to be about Hamilton, and so when you get to nonstop, and a lot of it's about Hamilton, that doesn't necessarily break from your expectations because that's kind of the, the whole thing is called Hamilton, and the fact that it serves all the other characters well is kind of like a bonus, but also just a. Uh, a very good like it's it's a very well constructed musical it's a sign that the people who are making this are 
are masters at their craft. Um, but I think mm-hmm. the expectation versus reality there is very important because the song is mostly about Hamilton, but the thing the, the thing is called Hamilton. So I think you kind of expect that going in. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think that you're disappointed to learn that it's not an ensemble um, piece. You know, that would be a bit like going and uh, buying a ticket for Hamlet and uh, <laughs> being concerned that you're spending so much time with the Prince of Denmark, right? You right, know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, like fr- friends, fr- friends isn't called Rachel. Right, like it's about all six of them. Right. Yeah, that's so, an ensemble piece, right? That's yeah. an ensemble. It's not named after one of the characters. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why Joey didn't do so well. I mean, I love Matt LeBlanc, but you know, oh, Joey was trash. That's a separate rant I can go on, but yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? This is you know, you w- when you buy the premise, you buy the show. That that's my opinion. Like, I think that if you sit down and you buy the concept of a show then you have a really good chance of buying the entire show, whatever it is. And you've already agreed to watch this show called Hamilton about Hamilton. So like you're saying, yeah, there's a certain level of expectation there. So yeah, I don't think that anyone is hoodwinked when they get to the end of act one and was like, you know, I was expecting more of an ensemble dance number. This is kind of really all about the title character. What's up with that? Yeah, it also (laughs) gives you a lot. If you play it right, it gives you a lot of creative liberty because I've taken the time uh throughout this podcast to like point out some of hamilton's like very bad plans right he's got like three friends we got one spy and it's like it's easy to just kind of write that off because it's called hamilton like we're we're not meant to meet all those other people like obviously the war effort is more than these four friends burr and washington right but because the play is called hamilton i don't expect to meet all those other people i expect it to center around hamilton's involvement and only his involvement and kind of who he's around i don't expect to meet all of the other people that were important to making this work. And so it gives you a little bit of creative freedom because it, it, it kind of stops me from being too critical about a lot of it because I know that a lot of the story is just missing because we're not focusing on that. Those characters were focusing on Hamilton. For sure. Similarly, in this song, when Washington approaches Hamilton, Hamilton asks him treasury or state, right? It's not, it's not mentioned that Henry Knox goes on to be Secretary of War, that doesn't matter because it's not about Hamilton. But we don't think about it because we're in the context of this number, right? You're never you're never sitting there in the audience going, yeah, but who's going to do all the fighting stuff? You know, just because of how our attention is adequately centered. Right. So I think it's probably, while we're talking about Hamilton here, there's a lot to talk about overall with this song, but I think we can just start from the beginning. At the beginning of Nonstop, there's a lot of parallels here. You know, we just kind of shared some moments with Burr and Hamilton. They became fathers around the same time, at least in the in the musical world. They're becoming fathers at around the same time, and they shared that moment on stage. And now they're both lawyers. How cool is that? So we kind of start Hamilton, Burr, they're both lawyers. <laughs> they clearly feel a, a little bit differently about it than the other. Um, what do you make of this first little bit here? It's really funny. It's really clever. I really enjoy this. Um, what do you make of kind of picking up this song here after the war, they went back to New York and now they're lawyers. Good place to pick up. Very good place to pick up. First of all, we get this subtle and efficient. I practice law burr work next door. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean with like the clever and just, it's just clever and chippy and funny and they're taking little digs at each other. Yeah. It's really great. I like the, the representation here of, an interesting and true thing that happened. They were all, they worked this trial together. They were colleagues. 
And they didn't always practice law together, but they were practicing law around the same time. And I think that this is particularly a very effective uh, adaptive choice because this trial, uh, stats are for nerds, came several years later. But if we start the song with it, if we start the song with this, first of all, any chance we have to put Burr and Hamilton next to each other, I'm for it. Let's go. Because that, that duality is crucial to the finale. But by starting here in the courtroom, we get to start with Hamilton practicing law, which then leads to him thinking about the law that he is practicing, which then progresses to new laws that he helps write. And so bringing this to the beginning of the number is a very good place to start because number one, it just wouldn't have the emotional weight later on in the song. It would feel out of place. But if we start the number with it, it feels jolly. It feels like there's momentum. We understand that there's things different here after the war. This is cool. We're doing things different, right? But also it gives us a structure for the song. It gives us a trajectory that I am a big fan of. I think it's a very good choice. This is a really good starting point. Right. And so I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. We need to keep Burr and Hamilton together as much as possible because Burr is the narrator and kind of the foil to Hamilton. He's like the other main character. Right. You have Hamilton, then there's Burr, and then everyone else is kind of behind those two. And so get any opportunity to have them together, especially with Leslie Odom Jr. on the stage. It's just electric. Like anytime he's on the stage, I'm for it because he's Mm -hmm. just phenomenal. So they're lawyers. They're taking digs at each other. You know, Burr worked next door. That's just awesome and funny. And it, this song, when you track the relationship of Hamilton and Burr, this song does a lot of the heavy lifting, right? They're still, at the very beginning of this song, like, a little bit chippy with each other, but still mostly friends. Like, they're working this case together. And by the end of the song, their relationship's a little more fractured, which leads into Act 2, where it's just, everyone knows where it's going to end up in Act 2. But Burr, even at the beginning of the song, is like, even though we started at the very same time, Alexander Hamilton began to climb. So this, the war is over, but this Burr and Hamilton relationship right now is just is, is, um, as powerful as it's ever been. Now that the war is over, and they're both equals, they're starting at the same time, they're both lawyers, Burr still feels that he's being left behind and that Hamilton is rising to the top. Um, and I really like that that this song it's after the war so it has to be different has to feel different but our characters Mm -hmm. are still the same people and this is kind of the first bit of that that we we get here where burr is like how the fuck does this guy still now we (laughs) now we're equal now we're equal we're both lawyers like how the fuck is he rising to the top like i don't understand and then he says the man is non-stop and then hamilton just gets to just gets to roll yeah he does and burr is almost acknowledging that he's envious but he's also admitting that it that he he may understand that it's because he himself burr himself is not nonstop, right and we're gonna see that progression throughout the number two i think burr always says the answer out loud as the narrator because obviously i think he's narrating it from like knowing what happens at the end type of thing the narration mm-hmm. kind of jumps right but he said like, he always says the answer right like how to account for his rise to the top? Like the man is nonstop. Well, that's that's probably the answer. But like, you're probably close, right? That's not, maybe not the full picture, 
but I think Burr is close here. And then this, the next bit, um, I really like these little moments where you can kind of just be like, hey, we know, we know this is 2021. Let's have some fun here. Like the gentleman of the jury comment. Um, mm-hmm. I don't find Hamilton to be always super historically accurate because they keep calling it a freaking pen. Like, you know, the quill, like it's two or three lines in this musical call it a pen. And so like, they're not, <laughs> they're not always like super worried about like the language matching the time. But I really like this line because it just like at the beginning of nonstop, it's funny. It's a funny they're taking digs at each other. It's humorous. And this is one of those lines that matches the time, which is awesome. But also to a 2021 audience gets a laugh out of me every single time. Yeah, I uh, this is uh, I put the, this section up there with uh, I have the honor to be your obedient servant. A dot. You know, it has that it has that period charm about it, you know. Right. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, also so good. Yeah. Also here at the top, we have um, we start with that rhythm that we were talking about earlier that that is in that, you know, we're starting with Burr and we're starting in that island dance hall type of feel that that we do get a little bit of in wait for it. And so we we feel like we're a part of Burr's vocabulary, but it has they've turned the knob up. Right. And we, we take that and ramp that up to give us that nonstop pattern. And I just, it's like you immediately, it's like, oh, there are new things here. There are new ideas in the air. And it's just, it's immediate. It's it's electric. It happens just like right off the bat. And I think it it really does fit the buoyancy of the beginning of this number. It just works. It's very, very, very clever. And... (laughs) as we get into this trial it's like it's this the beginning of the song like just, even just reading the lyrics is hilariously funny it's very very charming my uh, assistant Ham- counsel co-counsel that's it that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly it right so hamilton he in this in the musical world understands what he's a part of he is here to make history right like are you aware that we're making history this is the first murder trial which obviously is not true historically, but that's fine. You know, creative liberty and all that. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. one of the first like big national trials, right? It's a it's a big one, and and him and and Burr are working on it together, and that part is, is pretty accurate, right? But Hamilton seems aware of even now the war is over. Like he's still pushing. Like even in this one trial, he understands what this could do for him and how it could like set him forward. And he kind of asked Burr, like, "Are you aware of that? Like, are you aware that this is what we're we're doing here?" Yeah. Yeah, and it's a murder trial, right? Because in the in any good story, something dies at the end of Act One. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and <clears throat> this next bit is so funny. There's the assistant counsel co-cancel bit, but then I Burr has it's so good. But and I think it's good because this for this one moment, Burr doesn't like Burr and Hamilton are equals. He's like Hamilton, shut the fuck, like sit down, like go, yeah, yeah. like what are you t- like? Come on, man. Like, what are you even talking about? Our client's innocent. Call your witness. That's all you had to say. Like, he, in this moment, is not taking Hamilton's shit. And I really like that because the relationship feels equal here. Like, they're, they're trading barbs with each other, but it's not coming at the expense of each other either. It's, it's really funny. Yeah, it's this, this feeling of competition and this feeling of they're kind of spurring at each other, right? But it doesn't... You, you don't feel like they're about to go duel each other yet you know it feels like it feels like they're competitive friends like you know how when you're with Mm -hmm. your friends and you're playing like soccer like you get competitive but then once the soccer match is done you're fine that's exactly Mm -hmm. how it feels to me here 
Yeah, I like Burr's envy, I think, is a way to put it here. Um, I like the way it's characterized both. You can hear it in his voice on the soundtrack, but you can really get a, a feeling for it in the show. Um, it, it's it, to me, it, it, this is an interesting nod to the fact that, uh, Hamilton probably wouldn't have been a lawyer at this point had it not been for Burr <laughs> because Burr, you know, Burr at the end of the war was, was, uh, put together a petition for veterans to start practicing law early and they could get, they could get bar certified within a few months instead of a couple years. And so Hamilton owed a lot of his early career to Burr because it had it not been for Burr doing that, Hamilton would have had to wait a long time. And so it's interesting, after the war, Burr eventually does end up helping Hamilton find what he was looking for at the beginning of the play. He helps him find a shortcut. But even though Burr did all that, Hamilton is the one that keeps rising up. And that... you you get this feeling of of jealousy almost, but it's tempered with either Burr or Leslie Odom Jr. or both are just so amused by everything that it doesn't feel like there's animosity. It just like Leslie Odom Jr. does this one thing where he's sitting in the chair and it's on one of the oh, this man I know is nonstop. Exactly what you're saying. Yep. He's he gestures to Hamilton, right? He does a take to the audience, and it's just he silently is communicating like, you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like this, this, like it, this fucking can't... guy behind me here. Like, he's like, <laughs> what is he doing? He's like standing on a table and shit. Like, come on, sit down, dude. Yeah. So yeah. that would take us into this, this kind of lecture that Hamilton is giving after the trial, this, this deliverance on corruption in Albany and starting to, to get into eventually... Um, his thoughts on law and the, and then the constitutional convention, which you have uh, a lot of interesting thoughts on. Do you oh, want to hit those I next? love this piece of history so much. We also have before we get to the this bit of it, um, we also have Burr and the ensemble starting with their kind of almost internal monologues about Hamilton. Like, why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you write like you're running out of time? Um, These themes will just play throughout the entire number over and over and over again. And I just want to point them out because I think here, like, Burr knows why Hamilton is successful. And he keeps saying, like, why do you write like you're running out of time? Every day you fight like you're running out of time. That's what's making him successful, mate. Because he he knows that he's not going to be around forever. And he needs to get to the top so he can enjoy it before he's gone type of thing. Like... Burr has these answers and he's saying them out loud, like right day and night, like you're running out of time. Like it's probably working for him. And that's probably why he's doing it. I I get the idea that this, this envy is almost like it's envy of Hamilton, but also envy that Burr knows that he can't do what Hamilton's doing. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Right, like, like it's I, a hard, like it's a hard pill for him to swallow to have to admit that he understands the difference. Yeah, it's like him. if I, it's like if I was, if me and my best mate were hockey players, and up to a point we were both equally skilled, but there's just something in the way that person skates or the way they shoot the puck or whatever it is that I just can't do. Right, so no matter how hard I try, no matter how right, like we're fairly equally skilled, but they've just got this thing and they practice it over and over and over again, and no matter how much I practice it. I can never do that. I'm just not that person. And so 
I think Burr here almost has like he knows what's making Hamilton successful, but wants to pretend that those aren't the answers. Because I don't think we don't actually learn this about Burr, but I've always interpreted it thusly is that he can't write day and night like he's running out of time. He's not like Hamilton's skill with a quill is undeniable. Like he doesn't have that same like even if he wanted to write as much as Hamilton, he he's not as skilled at that. And so he's almost like in denial that that's what's making Hamilton successful. And I maybe I'm interpreting it completely wrong, but that's why I've always felt um, just because all of these lines are coming in almost like an internal consciousness, right? Almost like the ensemble is like inside the, the character's brain, just repeating these over and over and over again. I think that that's a really good interpretation of this text where Burr is concerned because earlier in the play, we get him acknowledging that about Hamilton. We get Hamilton's skill with the quill is undeniable. And then right after that, he says, but what do we have in common? We're reliable with the ladies. He doesn't say that we have the writing skill in common, right? Yes. That's and it later me, on, yeah. later on when Hamilton is extolling Burr's virtues outside of his door late at night, Hamilton never says, you're a very talented writer. Because you're a good right? lawyer. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's implied that Burr could translate that into some oratory or literary skill, but that's not specifically why Hamilton approaches him. It's because he's succinct and persuasive and he's, you're a better lawyer than me. But I think, I, I think, yeah, they can both understand. They both understand that Hamilton is the one that is capable of generating all of this content as quickly as he does. He would be a really good content creator, Hamilton. In 2021, yeah, like if he had a Twitch stream, I think he'd be pretty good at it. Yeah, he'd be doing 10-hour streams every day. 10-hour <laughs> streams know? with a podcast, a blog, a fully yeah. running, a fully functional YouTube channel for sure. Absolutely, yeah. And, and he would do all his own editing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. He wouldn't hire a single person because he didn't trust those people. He would do all his own editing. Absolutely. That's a take. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know Hamilton as a content creator was going to be a, a take. Um, but yeah, okay, let's swing back to Corruption, such an old song that we can sing along in harmony. Um, do you, I don't know anything about Albany and Corruption. I just like, this is the fun part of the song to sing when you're doing the karaoke. Um, I've always interpreted it as like, this is important to know because it kind of keeps us moving forward. Uh, is there any like specific reason why Albany's in here or is it just the rhyme? No. So the reason is it was the or is the capital of New York. Um, and there's an Albany is it has always been um, it's it's going to be slightly tangential, but there's even um, <laughs> a, a specific building, uh, Tammany Hall, um, which is also like the organization of people that worked in um, that building. Um, and it was the the Tammany Society was a a small insular group of people that that controlled politics and money in New York State, and Albany was kind of the seat of of their power, right? Ooh, okay. And th these were um, these were American blue blood um, people that just you know were were very powerful and influential. Um. So that's that's what that's that's specifically referencing there. And it's kind of one of our one of our early like kind of organized crime interlacing with political movements moments, right? Um were, were these um 
uh, were, were these people in Albany. Cool. So uh, there is a historical so, significance to Albany. It's not just there for the rhyme. I have an off right. I, question. I'll, I'll also point out, though, real quick, that they were that they were Democratic Republicans, right? Whereas Hamilton was a Federalist. Federalist, absolutely. So this, so him, him specifically calling out Albany here is is a dig at the fact that we're eventually going to end up with a couple different political parties. I think it's a nice but subtle touch. And again, you don't have to understand what's going on to enjoy the line. It's just delightful. Right. Like if you know that Albany is all like if you know the history behind it, it's great. If you don't know, it rhymes and it works and you're, you're moving on. Um, I have an offshoot question. Did you hear any of my Hamilton raps that I did on stream the other weekend? I did not because I was watching the mainstream. Oh, they're uh, all clipped. I, was... I did this. I did this rap as a clip okay. on Twitch. So I was just wondering if you'd heard it. Um, I'm going to have to go check it out. Uh, no, uh, I was uh, watching the main feed and occasionally I was dipping into other people's and including yours every now and again and lurking, but I was right. mostly so, watching so, the main. So just for the audience here, I have those clips. I will probably edit them into the mid-act, like the the kind of the funnier, goofier mid-act thing that's less about analysis and more <laughs> just about having fun. So in between turns, I was playing a civilization game on stream with other people. So there's a lot of time in between turns as the game rolls over. Um, and the chat just kept picking songs from Hamilton for me to do different like raps to. And so what I want to do is I want to get Connor's opinion on them. Like, oh, that was like five out of ten that you did this well, but this was pretty bad. Um, and I, to be honest, I was just proud of myself. I didn't forget the words a single time. Like, no lyrics on screen or anything. They just said a song, and I just went for it, and I never once. Anyways, we'll move on. I was just wondering if you'd heard <laughs> this specific rap, because it's one of my favorites to do. Um, and I'd probably do it terribly, but I haven't re-listened to the clip, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I did it, but I look forward to hearing it. It's... It, I mean, everyone seemed to love it. They wanted it as a channel points redemption. And I was like, I'll just do it. Like, I'll just, like, we're here. I'll just, whatever. Anyways, oh, so gotcha. um, part of this corruption in Albany and all that, Hamilton is still, we've learned this about him earlier when he was doing My Shot. And he talks about, are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? His focus is kind of like money. Oh, way at the beginning, too. And here he's um, he's talking again about like this colony's economy is increasingly stalling. Like he's focused here on the money still. And it's a nice little line. We know by the end he's going to be um, at the Treasury Department. And we know that by the end of this song. But here it kind of just reminds us, right, throughout the rest of the play, he had a war going on. So you might have forgotten that this is kind of Hamilton's MO because we haven't really talked about it too much. So I really like, again, a little nice piece of writing, just a one-liner to remind us that Hamilton is in it, like not for the money all the time. Like his focus is the economy and the system of, of, of how money works. And then by the time we get to the end and he gets to the treasury department, it's really well set up because we've had this, this line here. And it seems like, and I love this line. That's why public service seems to be calling me. And I always think like, is it really calling you or are you kind of just brute forcing your way into it? Like what's, that one, that's what, what he do. That's what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, like, I don't know. If, I don't know. If, like, I don't know. If public service is calling you. I think you're just kind of forcing yourself onto it. Like, I don't know. Is that your interpretation too? Yeah, that's a pretty decent uh, interpretation. But, you know, you could also read it a, a little more generously as, you know, people feel they have a calling to do something, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, um, uh, absolutely, right? Like, people always, like, when people, like, if Hamilton, like, he's, I think, I think he's forcing himself into public service. 
right? I don't think he's the only person who could do a good job in the public service realm. But to him, he would justify that to himself as being like, oh, it's calling me. Like, I I understand that. I just wanted your take. Like, do you think it's calling him or do you think it's he's kind of calling it? Well, I I think it it could be considered a calling, but he's also making sure that he stays involved just because he was that tenacious kind of guy, you know? But this is a this is a nice callback to earlier in Act One. I know the action in the streets is exciting, but between all the bleeding and fighting, I've been reading and writing. He's we've known this about him since the beginning, that he's going to be interested in finance and government structures even during periods of conflict. And at this point, he's making a case that he has to get involved because people from Philadelphia to New York City to Albany are all out for themselves. And I think there's some altruism implied here. Hamilton famously never, ever in it for himself, always in it for his wife and kids. Well, yeah, but he <laughs> we're we're getting a glimpse into what he thinks. Right? Of, yeah, yeah. I just like to yeah. I just like to be funny. I I understand how <laughs> he sees it this way, but I don't yeah. have to see it the way he sees it. Right, but he's he knows that like no one else uh he believes that no one else could do this as as well as he could. You know, um and he's he's the one to fix it. Now, what's interesting to me is that he's also wrapped up with all these people. You know, like uh, Church, uh, Angelica's husband, he he was a speculator and a banker, um, I believe, in, in Philly and New York City. And like when, when Hamilton starts getting into banking, it's because he's running stuff for Angelica's husband, right? So it's like all of these big wig movers and shakers that he's believed to have been speaking out against because he thought that there was corruption involved he's also dealing with them it's an interesting would, point would in you life. say in a in a hamilton to use a hamilton phrase would you say he's kind of trying to put the fire out from inside the house like is that the same <laughs> it could be it could be but he actually tries to do it you know yeah sure absolutely um, he he he, he the way the like, and it's the musical is about him, so I think he's portrayed yeah. rather well in a lot of situations. He does genuinely seem throughout the whole musical is like in in the in the full realm of possible like corrupt politicians in terms of setting up a country. He seems really on the good end of it. Hmm. And one of his, you know, these moments where we see what he's trying to do when he's he's excited to be at the convention. But he also, you do get a sense of, like, he understands that it's important. But then you get this really sweet moment with Burr where he makes it not about himself. And I think it's interesting that we get all of this leading up, right? All of this is about Hamilton, and he's very focused on himself, and he's the best man for the job. And then they kind of flip the script on us. And when it comes to this intimate moment with just him and Burr, he's actually very humble. And that is an interesting switch. Absolutely. Let's. I, I. I do really want to talk about the Constitutional Convention, and I really yeah. don't like bringing too much like of the real history into this. But I think the Constitutional Convention and, and going over some of the, as best as I know it, some of the real history here is critically important. If again, it's one of those things. If you know it, you know it, and if you don't, it doesn't matter because the musical is amazing anyway. But it really helps inform it. I think it'll. I think it heightens your experience of Hamilton if you just fully understand 
kind of the like you said there's this period of history that's just kind of missing like the battle of yorktown happened and then boom america exists and this mm-hmm. period of history here regardless of whether it's hamilton's point of view or not is very fascinating but specifically from hamilton so hamilton gets invited to the constitutional convention as a new york junior delegate good for him he's excited he has that little like again the song is very funny he has a little like hop across the stage like what is your interpretation of burr kind of introducing him do you think this is and it's just because I've never been able to kind of figure out whether this is narrator narrator Burr or character Burr or like if they're this is where they start really molding together. Because he introduces Hamilton, like Hamilton at the Constitutional Convention. I can't tell if this is just narrator Burr letting us know that or if like I kind of get this sense of like, but I'm not at the Constitutional Convention. Hamilton is, but I'm not. Like almost like that same envy and jealousy peeking through. I think that it's understandable you see both at once here. And there's a lot going on in a few amount of words. Once again, the show does this so well. You know, there's almost a sneer in Burr's voice. There's almost like, first of all, he's there and I'm not. But second of all, audience, look at what I'm talking about. Because here he goes again. He is once again being nonstop. So it's as if Burr... This is lawyer character Burr presenting evidence to the audience that he's right about Hamilton never shutting up. Absolutely. So I have I have two takes about the Constitutional Convention. One of them I think is important to talk about in terms of history, and one of them is just a fun little bit about the Constitutional Convention. So Hamilton at the Constitutional Convention, and I think this really informs later his 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 literally like nonstop for lack of a better term, is nonstop defense of the Constitution that ends up coming from this convention because it is so different than the one that Hamilton himself personally advocated for. Hamilton shows up at the Constitutional Convention and, like, forgive me if these details aren't exactly right, um, but they're, they're somewhere in this realm. Hamilton originally advocated for a system that wasn't all that different from the British system. Obviously, no king involved. That was kind of the point. But the, the president was going to be president for life. Um, before there were more elections and like that's the big one but there are a lot of similarities from from the british system that they just kind of overthrew to hamilton's proposal and i think that really says a lot about his character later when he's defending the constitution anyway just because if you kind of know that about hamilton you'll know that the constitution that ended up coming out of the convention the one he's trying to convince burr to get on board with is very different than the one Hamilton advocated for. And that's probably what he's going to say may sound indelicate in the fact that he's probably one of the only people there who's advocating for a very similar system to the British monarchy. Um, But I think it's an important character bit for Hamilton because he defends the constitution anyway, even if it's not anywhere near what the one that he would have wanted if he could just make it up himself. Honestly, we're lucky that he didn't get his way. <laughs> For sure. It, the, his way is, I can't remember how similar. I want to say it's like 80% similar to the British monarchy system, if I had to take a guess. His, yeah, and, and his banking systems were very English as well. He was very fond of the English financial systems. He was impressed by them. It's very, very odd. But yeah, there's a humility in him defending the final constitution. And I think that that's reflected in his conversation with Burr. Which is, so, so it needs amendments. You know, we can, we can, it's a work in progress, but we need, but we do need to stick together. And I think that there is something, there's a a current that runs through the character of Hamilton that he, he would, yes, he admits 
he would rather be divisive than indecisive. But at the same time, he understands the crucial importance of national unity. And I think the show reflects that very, very well. Yeah. The the next thing I want to point out, I think, is just a lesson for this specific time in 2021. Burr says that Hamilton talks for six hours. The convention is listless. Right. And almost the way Burr, narrator Burr, says it is if like, who, and the guy on the stage, one of the guys from that song goes like, who the F is this? Right. I'm going to argue here that maybe at this point in time, I don't really know anything about, but in 2021, like we are all aware from the point that this happens to right now, you can see countless examples time and time and time and time and time again in a variety of different countries, just how fragile democracy is, how fragile our current system of government is, and that for democracy to work, for it to flourish, for it to last however many hundreds of years to 200 plus years that America's democracy has lasted since this war, for it to last that long, it, it, it requires people, it requires people every day to defend it, to get out there, for, to talk for six hours, to like not shut up about it until it, it remains the same. Because if you just let it, it's like, it's like a plant you need to keep watering. Right. If you just let it wither and die, someone will take over your democracy like it will wither and die. You need people like Hamilton, all the people to go out every single time and 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 defend your system of democracy. And that's what's very frustrating when when elections happen and people lose and they get all upset and like sore loser about it, because it's not about that. Right. Like you need to defend the system, whether or not you came out on top, because if you stop defending the system, the system just won't exist. Democracies are very fragile. They're like a plant that needs to be watered. And Hamilton is at least in this moment doing the watering and it's portrayed in the musical like it's a bad thing. I'd rather this in real life now than a lot of what people are doing in IRL, if that's making sense. Makes sense to me. And I like it a lot. I like that. It's like a plant that you need to water simile. I also appreciate the implication here that supports your point. Talks for six hours, the convention is listless. Burr doesn't say that anybody left, that anybody told Hamilton to sit down and shut up. They they listened for six hours to someone with whom they disagreed, but they were still willing to hear him out. Yeah, and Hamilton repaid the favor by defending the Constitution. Like, to me, this is how the system is meant to work. This is perfect. The way the musical portrays it. Right. Like Hamilton is going to go. He's going to talk for six hours. He's not going to get his way for most of the stuff. But that that exchange happened. They all exchanged their views. Hamilton didn't get his way <laughs> for a lot of the stuff in the Constitution, but he defended it regardless, because that's you defend the system over your specific place in it. And that, to me, is how it's meant to function in real life. Mm hmm. Well, and he, in a way, gets kind of the last laugh because while the construction of the government wasn't ideally what he wanted the federalist papers are often and i think most often what we use to interpret our own constitution and it it's kind of like he gave us the instruction manual of how we're supposed to use this interpretive document and so he controlled the critique or he controlled the thought of that document whether he you know had as significant a hand in making it as he wanted he still he got to write the owner's manual and you can argue that that's equally important oh definitely absolutely 
We also get this little bit here with Burr before we get to the really, and like the intimate moment between Burr and Hamilton is maybe one of the most important moments in the whole musical. But just before that, we get Burr again. Like he, he seems to have all the answers, right? He gets up and he's like, why do you always say what you believe? Every proclamation guarantees free ammunition for your enemies. And it's like Burr, like I'm about to get real mad at Burr. We're going to save that for just a minute. But like, just give your head a, like you are trying to figure out why this guy is so successful. This is why. And unlike the writing bit, you can do this. In fact, Hamilton's about to beg you to do this, right? Like just having it like again, the war is done. The stakes are a little lower now. The heat is cooled a little bit, right? Just have an opinion. Say what you believe. Like who are your en- who's your enemies, Burr? Who's after you? Who are they? Is the mafia after you? Like, what the fuck? Like, every, like free ammunition for your enemies. Who is, like, who are Burr's enemies? Like, I don't understand any of this. Like, Burr, you, you know what you need to do here. And it's just he won't do it. And it's so frustrating. And I again, I don't know who his enemies are. Come on, Burr. You don't have enemies. Like, no one's coming to murder you. Shut up. <laughs> well, you know. He's a bit of a gossip. He's a socialite. He's, you know, he's plugged into the movers and shakers of politics. You know, he doesn't, Burr doesn't necessarily want to be a political mover right now, but he loves the action of the politics. He just doesn't want to work for it. He's got things to do. He's got a life. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, a lot of the things he does in his free time seems to be like, get mad at Hamilton. And at least in the musical world, like <laughs> that's a full time job. That's a full time job, but it's like, <laughs> look, this requires. This is not writing the the Federalist Papers. This is like just just have an opinion. Just like, do you like this thing? Ah, yes, I do. Like that's all. That's all you need to do here. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's frustrating, but it's very burr. That's what it I love when burr. characters are frustrating, and I hate them in these moments because it means they're well done. It's very burr to even after the war, even after the stakes are lowered to just still be like, why, why do you do this Hamilton? Like, why do you say what you believe? And it's like, he's very successful burr. Like you keep wondering why he's successful. This might be the answer you're looking for. Yeah. It's also prescient, you know, it's foretelling that burr has this line about ammunition for Hamilton's enemies. I really, really like that that line is in Burr's voice. Not just because it's Burr the narrator, but because I, I just, I like specifically that line coming from Burr. The foreshadowing is delightful for someone that somehow doesn't know the story of these two men. I um I really enjoy the next couple lines. Like when now, now we, we went like, earlier it was running out of time. Now it's going out of style. Like right day and night, like it's going out of style. Every day you fight. Like it's going out of style. I always appreciated this line just because of like I, I I like imagining like things coming in and out of style in the late 1700s. Like you know how we have like baggy mm-hmm. jeans are in style for a bit and then skinny jeans are in style for a bit. I like to mm-hmm. I like to think I just like to think about things coming in and out of style in the 1700s and like because now writing is such a big part of our whole like just the whole world is so much based on the written word. Right. I'm sure it was that way in the late 1700s, too. But I like the idea that writing like it's going out of style. Right. I I really I don't know what it is about it. And I know it makes no sense because it's like writing wasn't something that went in and out of style in the 1700s. But like 
I just, I don't know. I just like a ima- it, it brings me into the universe a little bit to imagine like, oh, what? Like 1700s, what was going in and out of style? Like at some point corsets went out of style. When did that happen? Like, I just like being brought into the world with, with the going out of style lines. I don't know what the intention of them is, but that's what it does for me. As if overnight they're going to stop producing pamphlets and they're going to go back to stone tablets. Like, you know, it, what, right. it's also, it, maybe, it, maybe it's evocative to me because now writing like i know like like written writing is going out of style a little bit and typing is more of a thing now maybe that's what it is but i don't know i just find yeah. that I, I just like it really to me brings me into the universe to imagine like oh it's like there's the chapter in harry potter where it's like the two prime ministers are talking together and it's just like mm-hmm. it gives me that chance to just be like, oh wow i never thought about this before like it's a, it adds something else to this universe. Like oh, I never thought about in the 1700s what was going in and out of style. Yeah, we almost made it an hour without one of us bringing up Harry Potter. I just take going out of style as just an idiom. You know, I just take it as like this is just a phrase that Lynn has wrote in here. Yeah, to finish I think the phrase. I think that's it. I think that's it. But I like that regardless, it still does something for me. Right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it just interprets. Definitely do both. Yeah, interpretively, I'm always like, oh, shit, like, what was going in and out of style in 17? Like, hats, maybe? Like, do they have different, like, <laughs> right? Like, later, later, it's like, I basically missed the late 80s. Like, what was the late 80s like in 1780? Like, I, it's a, that's another one of those exact same lines. Like, I basically missed the late 80s. Like, oh, shit, like, what? Like, I, it brings me into the musical. Like, what was it like in the late 80s in 1780? Like, ah, oh, it's so cool. Anyways, now we have this really <laughs> delicate moment between Burr and Hamilton. How do you even want to approach this? Because this is a complete flip for the first part of it, where Hamilton is very humble and very, like, part of it to me seems really sincere, and part of it to me is like, I need to soften up Burr. Like, I know, like, I know Burr. He was just bitching like 10 seconds ago on the stage about how he doesn't want to have any opinions and he has all these enemies and stuff. Like, I'm going to have to sweeten him up a bit. So I'm going to like, oh, you're, you're a good lawyer. Oh, you're the best lawyer. So much better than me. Like part of it seems sincere and part of it, like the lines are written like it's exactly what Burr's going to want to hear. Like if I was writing, like, okay, I'm going, like you wake up, like shit, I got to talk to Burr tonight. I have all day. What am I going to say? Like, this is what I would have written. Like, oh, you're, you're the best lawyer. I know, like, not only are you good, I know I'm, I talk too much, like I'm bad, right? Like, I just love this because it's, it's, it, it, it comes across as sincere and also like exactly what ha- Hamilton thinks Burr is going to want to hear. I, uh, I'd have what I, you know, and I'm, I don't want to, I'm not accusing you of being cynical per se, but I, I don't know. I have, I, I guess I see more genuine humility from Hamilton here. Could it not I be both though? Could it not be like Hamilton? Like I think I think there is sincerity in it. I think like within that sincerity, it's written in a way that that keeps the sincerity while also being exactly what like, I think it's both. I think I can sinc- get behind that. Yeah, I don't that think I, I don't think behind, I don't yeah. I'm not taking anything away from the sincerity. But mm-hmm. it's like it's like when you when you've done something wrong and you go to apologize, right? It doesn't take anything away from your genuine like apology to write it in the way that you think the other person's going to want to hear it. Like if I've missed well, especially some... go ahead. Like if I mess something up at work, right. And I need to call my boss and tell him about it. And like, Hey, like, I'm sorry that I messed this up. Right. I still feel sorry about it, but I still take the time to write it and phrase the apology in a way that my boss is going to want to hear to avoid 
to avoid being in trouble. And I think Hamilton's done this. Like to me, it comes across that Hamilton's done the same thing. He's genuinely humble and and showing humility here, and he genuinely means it. But it's also within that written in the way that Burr's gonna appreciate it, or it's gonna come across the best to Burr. Well, and it's wise for him to do so because it's reasonable to believe that Burr is not going to jump on board. So you know he may it's, as well stack the deck right and be it's as convincing reasonable. as possible. It's certain. <laughs> like yeah, like it's yeah. it's so much more than reasonable to know that Burr is going to mm-hmm. hate this. <laughs> well, yeah, because he's you know waiting to see which way the winds will blow. I I don't think I'm alone in this. I'm so over Burr here. Oh, I can't stand it. I cannot. This, and in in the best way, in the way that you're meant to be frustrated with characters, right? A lot of times when you, like, dislike something or whatever, it's because the writing is bad or whatever. But this is just, like, Burr is so Burr here. And my thoughts were, like, the war and the stakes have died. And so during the war, I can understand. But here, I just don't. I don't get it, right? Like, here comes Hamilton, and he he is begging you. Like, you're trying to figure out why this guy is so successful. He's begging you to do the things that will... Like, he's begging you to join this with him. Like, I, I just don't understand any of Burr's... Other than it's just Burr. Other than it's just Burr. But, like, Hamilton goes through so many... Like, how hard is it for Burr? This is anonymously published, right? Like the, 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 what Hamilton comes is, hey, we've got this constitution. Burr has his problems with it. He's like, look, it needs amendments. Uh, like the constitution's full of contradictions. Like, yeah, mate, so is independence. Like, come on, right? Like this is anonymous. We just need to get the public on board. And then Burr's like, well, no one will read it. And Hamilton's like, that's the point, mate. Like, come on. Like, he's almost like he wants to just like, like not you know how like you're when you're a kid you like one of your family would like knock on your skull and ask if anything's in there, like yes, Burr, <laughs> that is the point. Like that's why I'm here. Is currently no one gives a shit, and we need to make people give a shit. So I don't know what I don't know why you feel this way about Burr. Maybe it'll be different to the reason I feel that way, but I just don't understand any of this. I think that Burr is waiting to see if the federalist system as it exists is actually going to take hold. I think that there's a lot packed into his response to Hamilton here. Um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So first, let me just say, before we get into that, that I appreciate so very much Hamilton doubling back on Burr here and, and also doubling down on I Will Never Understand You from the wedding earlier in Act 1. Hamilton really holds Burr's feet to the fire here. And I think that that's why we get this soliloquy from Burr. He can't hold his tongue anymore. He has to confess to the audience what his plan was, right? He's not singing to Hamilton. He's singing to us now. And he admits he's keeping his plans close to his chest. He doesn't know if this constitution is actually going to work out, if this government system is going to work out, and rumors they only grow. They might be anonymously published, but what if things don't work out and then they find out that it was Madison and Hamilton and Jay that wrote it and then Burr is all concerned about having enemies? You know, there's a lot of fear in him. There's there is. A lot there's of so fear much in fear in this guy. Yeah. 
I like, and so it's just that's you know the hesitancy there is just I, I yeah it dri- it drives me crazy in a good way in a compel in the way that a compelling character should, and we have to have that tension for Hamilton and Burr as opposing forces to make sense, right? But it's just you want you want Burr to take. A, a chance you know the i think p- the audience's desires are put in hamilton's voice for once in your life take a stand with pride i don't understand why you stand to this like the audience's desires for burr are in lynn's mouth it's beautiful and what what happens here is burr lets us down like the will he won't he that is over we now completely understand he will be on the bench and he is fine with it right yeah, and so... But now there's another part of this. There's another part of this that is interesting to me because we we talk about Burr already knowing how the story ends, right? And I think that that's important to his duality as a narrator and a character. And part of Burr's agitation in this show, we see it in nonstop, we see it elsewhere, but we see it a lot here, is that Burr has the foresight of someone that didn't invest in Apple in 1982. <laughs> you know, like yes. someone came to you Absolutely. and was like, hey, hey, there's this new company. You should get on board. And uh, and you pass on it. I think you know, the difference like, there is like in that situation, Burr would have fought a war so Apple could exist and then not <laughs> bought the stocks. Like it's yeah. not even just not yeah. buying the stocks. It's like you literally went and murdered people for Apple to exist and then you didn't buy mm-hmm. the stocks. <laughs> Yeah. I just don't, I just don't understand any of this. Like, and then Hamilton, like, ha- this is one of the like we need to be, especially because Act Two is not going to go that great for Hamilton. We need to go into Act Two really like being on Hamilton's side, and this accomplishes that absolutely. But Hamilton says everything that I would have said, like, like, and Bert when asked, "Do you support this Constitution?" Burr says, "Of course." Not kind of, not yeah, not no, not I would change things. Like, of course. That is about as ringing, like, that is the best endorsement you're ever going to get out of Burr. And then he still won't defend it. He, Mm -hmm. do you support this? Of course. Right? Like, it's not even like, do you support this? Eh, I'm kind of on the fence. Maybe I change it. I don't know if I want to write about it. It's like, of course I support this. But then he won't support it? Like, fuck, I can't stand it. Yeah, because of his next line. And what if you're backing the wrong horse? He does not want to be associated with this as a potential entity. He only wants to support ideas that are locked and set in stone. It's so much more frustrating when you know that he's going to become a senator at, like using this system that he wouldn't defend. Like I hate, I hate mm-hmm. it. All right, <laughs> uh, so okay. And then Hamilton. This is one of the most evocative ma- parts of maybe the whole musical. Like Burr, we studied and we fought and we killed. Like, what are you doing? Like, do you forget that we just killed a bunch of people for this? Right? And I talk about the stakes being lowered, right? But when the stakes were high, they were, like, these guys were actively in it. Like, Hamilton was rushing. Hamilton is acting like somebody that was rushing the readouts, right, for this system. Hamilton's acting like that person who, at Yorktown, was rushing readout number 10. Burr is acting like someone who just, like, lived in frickin' Timbuktu, New York, and accidentally got caught up in this whole thing. Like, I don't... 
I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, in the best way possible, I cannot stand Burr here. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. That's how I feel as well. It's, you know, it's, it's so frustrating because it's not like Burr's life wasn't also on the line. But now that they have the opportunity, Burr doesn't respect the opportunity that they fought for. And it's like watching someone, uh, this is, this is going to be, this is, this is a stretch. Um, but okay. stay with we're me. We're all here. for it. We're all for it. Let's go. I have I have a childhood memory of when I was living in Montgomery, Alabama, and I remember begging and begging and begging to go to this Mexican restaurant one night. <laughs> like we were gonna go out, and we didn't know where we were gonna go, but there was a there was a Mexican restaurant in town, and that's where I wanted to go. Okay, all right, I'm with you. And and I remember my dad and stepmom relenting. And I ordered chicken fingers. Oh, my I, this dad, is the perfect analogy. This is exactly- my dad hit the ceiling. Absolutely. And I, I have such a visceral memory of this night at dinner of why I was so I fought so specifically for this restaurant to order the chicken fingers. Yeah, <laughs> and I, that, I, that is the perfect and analogy. I, yeah. Yeah, I see that in Burr here. <laughs> yeah, he's or yeah, he he's the guy who just fucking cried about going to the Mexican restaurant to order chicken fingers. <laughs> and Hamilton's like Hamilton's purchased the sombrero and he's got like tacos and he you know what I mean? He's got the maracas yeah. and he's like, Burr, come on, man. Like we're going. Like, exactly. what do you mean? Yeah, that's yeah. a perfect analogy. <laughs> I also we have to address this. This is lovely. And is one of, I think, Lin-Manuel Miranda's best just raw imaginings of things that might have happened. You know, like this is one of the moments in the show that is just invented from whole cloth. It was just a a what-if moment for Lin. And it was a, this of course could have happened. What would have happened if it did? What would this conversation have been, right? And it's interesting that it's this moment, this fantasy, is one of the best distillations of the difference between these two men that we get in the whole show. It's not long, right? It's, it's very, very quick, but it touches so many other parts of the show that it kind of becomes this like central conduit point for all of these different threads in their story. And, 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 it, and for my money, is one of the quintessential this is why the two of these men are different moments in the show. Yeah, I think this is the part where they they kind of from this point on aren't really friends anymore. Right? Yeah. Like they had like even at the beginning of this song when they're at the trial together, they're kind of friendly. They're taking digs at each other. In fact, they might even be that comes across as almost more friendly. Like there's a certain level of friendship where what you're taking digs at each other in like a fun way, and that's like a heightened level of of camaraderie. So I, you can even inter like it's it's, it's a it's a deteriorating friendship and it's happening very quickly. But um, speaking of kind of just how this plays, like all the choices here for a completely like this could have happened, but is mostly just a made up moment, right? Having it at night, right? Because nighttime here comes across as like and the music too. It comes across as gentle. Like this is a gentle moment. It starts out at least as a gentle moment for Hamilton and Burr and what's more gentle than like a nice nighttime stroll to Burr's house like it 
it's one of those things that I don't really think about often, but when you do think about it, like where, what is the better setting for this than at night? I don't know. It's just, it's again, like everything else in this musical is incredibly well done. Every single decision makes perfect sense. I've thought about that a lot, actually. Uh, first of all, Hamilton apparently likes walking with people at night. That's one of his hobbies. Oh, but that also... would totally be my hobby. It, like back in 1770, if I lived in a house with like a nice garden, I would walk around like two hours every night, glass of wine. Oh, it'd just be great, right? But what no, else is there's there to something do? about there's something about Hamilton. This is this is my imagining of why this happens in the middle of the night. Is is Hamilton is in his study, and he's thinking about how he can make this work, right? Or he's specifically thinking about getting Burr involved or maybe he's trying not to and and then it's not until one o'clock in the morning where he's like shit i gotta break down and ask Burr you right know, now like right this second right now tomorrow, right now right because there's something about his frenetic energy right that he has to do it right now it cannot wait it can't wait at all because he's impulsive and he knows that this is the right i'm just gonna i'm gonna walk across the street and ask him and speaking of the street, just something that I want to point out that I think is clever and very, very cheeky. When the scene begins, Burr walks out of the set upstage right, and then there's a backlight coming from the wing that's uh, like this, this amber golden, like to, to suggest an interior light source coming from the door, right? Later, after Hamilton leaves, Burr crosses downstage left and the lighting from upstage right is now replicated down left. So now that that beam of amber light is coming out of the stage left wing instead of stage right. It's as if the the camera has like spun around Burr. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like yes, they, I understand. They yeah. didn't they didn't have to do that. That is just a simple lighting choice that I think is just brilliant because it's like even though we're on a different part of the stage we're going to do what we can to keep that tonal consistency and that consistency of place it's a nice subtle choice there really good absolutely um i'm sure we'll get back to, to hamilton and burr as we go along here um i do want to point out actually one more thing and it, this is like a genuine frustration with burr i think you know this is like the third time in this musical where hamilton's kind of pushed burr to do something but the other two times it's worked out pretty well for him. Like earlier it was like, we need to like, this rebellion's got to go. So Burr kind of reluctantly at whatever point joins the rebellion and that goes well for him. And then Hamilton goes like, I will never understand you. Like what go, if you love this woman, go get her. What are you waiting for? And like, assume like, like we can just assume because the next time we talk about Theodosia, like they're having a kid, right? They're having mm -hmm. baby Theodosia. So you can assume Burr went and did that at some point. And went and got Theodosia, like Hamilton said. So this isn't even like the the first time Hamilton's giving him advice. Like the last two times where he kind of reluctantly eventually gets on board with what Hamilton is saying. And this happens off screen in some period of time that doesn't happen in the musical. But you can assume that it went well for him both other times. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Burr's doing well. He's a He's clearly a successful lawyer in in new york city and he's seem he seems to be <clears throat> respected by his colleagues he seems to be respected by his colleagues at least because we i mean he's one of the people that in this version of the story hamilton approaches to do the federalist papers 
So yeah, his life seems to have turned out pretty well, but I don't think he agrees. I don't think Burr would agree with you. Absolutely not. Clearly he wouldn't agree with me. I'm just trying to point out like the last two times Hamilton told him to do something, he went and did it off the screen at some point, but he did it and it worked out Mm -hmm. well. So I don't know why he like specifically like constitution aside, specifically like Hamilton's advice Right, the fact that this is Hamilton telling you this, the last two times Hamilton told you to do something, it worked out for you. I don't know. It just seems like a weird... I just take it back to fear, man. I think that Burr has lived a life of pain and of fear, and he doesn't want to incur any more bad consequences. Um, and, And I think that there's something in Leslie's performance here that is indicative of Burr's hesitancy to stick his neck out for anything. You know, maybe, maybe he had enough sticking his neck out. Maybe he had enough risk in the war. Maybe the war influenced his, his hesitancy after it. I don't know, but there is, there's a, a I don't know. There's, it's like a, a self caging. There's like a, 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 a scared animal type of thing to burr that i sense in this performance that i like right i I appreciate it i think that it it leads towards their final conflict but it does as a person of course drive me batty right because you want so much more for him it's it's yeah it's a very complex and well-constructed character to say the least So now that Burr and Hamilton have kind of had their, I don't want to call it a falling out yet, but kind of like a falling out over the Constitution, which is, I mean, I say the stakes are lower. That's a pretty big thing to at least have a falling out over. Um, I love this. I think we can at least call it the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end, absolutely. I really like this last line, like watching the tension grow. And then you get that little piano riff and then boom, the tension's going to grow because Hamilton and Angelica... This is, and if you have, if you've only watched this musical once or only listened to the soundtrack, I beg you to at least find Mm -hmm. like someone reacting to this song on YouTube because the Hamilton, Lin-Manuel, whatever you want to say about his vocals, his facial expressions during this bit of the song are like S plus tier acting, like just incredible. He walks out from, from the, I don't know any stage terms, from the back of the stage. He's come, where is that called? (laughs) backstage 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 (laughs) she's coming from backstage with angelica and they're like linked arm in arm and he is looking at her like the woman of his dreams like he is just like because you know him and angelica have a little thing like i have a little like on the side like she wants to form a harem right like they have this little thing on the side in the in the musical and that's all cool and whatnot right and then when she has the line i have found a wealthy husband hamilton's face immediately goes to like fuck what like, 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 just complete shock and disbelief. It's perfect acting. Mm-hmm. It's as if, and I don't know if they actually take it this far. I don't know if they thought about this when they were building the show, but it is as if their portrayal of Hamilton is that he was trying to keep Angelica on the hook. He never expected her to get married, you know? Yeah, so real real life, obviously, she was already married. But in the musical verse, I get, I take it that way. that He just never, he always expected Angelica to keep, like, to stay a constant at, at whatever yeah. point in his life that she was. And it's really, it's really is compelling here. And, and part of the success of this moment is that his face falls 
specifically on the word husband. Yes, that's because it. When, yeah. when, when she's talking about going to London, she's accompanied by someone who always pays. Hamilton's like, you have boyfriends all the time. I don't know what you're telling me. Like, why? Like, I get it. Yeah, like, like, we both yeah, have an understanding. Go, it's kind of like a you go girl. Like, yeah, go, go have yeah, fun. Yeah, go, you know, like, yeah, we're, you know, uh, this is the first polyamorous relationship of a brand new nation. And, uh, <laughs> but then she says, <laughs> but then she says husband, right? Yeah. And he, and he dies, you know? It, it is from 100 to zero. Without mm-hmm. again, without going overboard, it's believable. Like the facial expression bo- on both ends is completely believable, but it, it could not be more opposite. Yeah, it's it's nice that his physical energy, specifically on his face, he he matches Renee, right? Her vocalization with his physicalization, and that is a really good choice here because no one's stepping on each other's toes. She's occupying the auditory space. He's occupying the visual space. And it culminates into a delightful collaborative performance. Yeah, she. The, the, this is another one of those lines here that, that really kind of brings me into the world a little bit. Is um, He is not a lot of fun, but there's no one who can match you for turn of phrase. Right? Like, who says mm-hmm. turn of phrase in 2021? Right? I just... Because that is Hamilton. We already know that no one can match him for turn of phrase, but until you hear that line, you've never thought about it exactly like that. And the way she puts it here, you're like, oh, she's totally right. Like Alexander Hamilton's on his own level with regards to like writing, turn of phrase, those types of things. But it's just not a way you would word that in, in 2021. So I've always liked oh, it. Not it's at just, all. It brings me into the world a little bit, but it's also like, ah, oh, it adds another layer to Hamilton that, it's not just Burr, like even Angelica's acknowledging, and we have the the letters that we'll we'll talk about again later. All right, during Burn, um Eliza's going to talk about just how how amazing these letters are, but we kinda got a during Helpless, we kinda got a sense of that as well. That he is truly unmatched in terms of like writing and and just English English language prowess for the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh no doubt. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I also, uh, moving, uh, uh, moving apace, uh, agree with, uh, <laughs> with you calling out here that Angelica delivers what might be the funniest line in the play. Don't forget to write. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. I thought, what are you going to talk about? I remember writing this in the notes now, like as if Hamilton's going to forget to write, like, fuck off. <laughs> Hamilton's going to write you every single night, Angelica. You shut up. Like, don't forget to write. Like, come on. Well, There's also something sweet about it too, though. It is. I do think it's both. It's just the idea that Hamilton wouldn't write. That to me is is hilarious. Truly, yeah, one of the funniest lines in the play. Yeah, of course he's gonna write. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> okay, but like, yeah, yeah. It is really sweet, and I like that it's don't forget to write. Like, obviously, that's their only means of communication in 1780 mm-hmm. or 90 or whenever this is. Right. But also we just like she just talked about how good he is at writing. Like that is his skill. Like like almost like she wants to keep that. Like the one thing she says about her or two, or two things she says about her husband is that he's wealthy and can't match Alexander for turn of phrase. So the fact that like the don't forget to write also calls back to that turn of phrase thing. The thing that one of the things she mentioned is the difference between her husband and Alexander, I think is it, it's, it, it works because it's the only way for them to communicate, but it works on a, a thematic level based on what she just told us about her husband. 
Yeah, the implication there is, look, if I do not get this mental stimulus from you, I'm not going to get it, right? right so, I, like, you have to, you're the only one that can provide that to me because without you, I will never be satisfied. Right. So, I'm going to I'm gonna need that correspondence because otherwise I'm going to be bored. And, yeah. and right as this happens, too, the the way the choreo is done and the, do you call it staging? In theater, when you like choose where people are going to stand and enter from, is that staging or setting up? That's a, that is a part of staging. So we would use, so staging would encompass where everybody is, but also the set pieces that are on stage, the properties, right? The way, the way things are lit would be staging. The specific part of that staging about where people are moving and standing is called blocking. Blocking. That's the word I'm looking mm -hmm. for. The way Eliza yeah. is blocked as she enters this song. Like, Hamilton is just living the life with Angelica on their little walk until he finds out she's getting married and going to London and all that. Right? But just, you've the way he looks at, at, at Angelica, has he ever looked at Eliza that way? And the fact that they have her blocked to come in, like, on, kind of off to the side a little bit, right? And then she's coming in, like, look at where you are. Like, she's coming in not as not as someone Hamilton loves as much, if that makes sense, whether that's true or not, but just the, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say here, but it's perfect. The way Eliza kind of enters this to kind of remind Hamilton, like, Hey, hello. Hi, I exist. Like, look at where you are. Look at where we yeah. started before the war. Like the fact that you're alive is a miracle. Can we just like settle down a little bit? Like, can you stop looking at my sister like that? Like, come on, like, let's go. <laughs> right. It was just, just the way, and it, you don't get this from the soundtrack. You only really get this from the way it's blocked, but the way she kind of comes in off to the side as if she's just not quite as important to Hamilton is brilliant. I, I appreciate the moment, but I don't take it to suggest that she's less important to Hamilton than angelica i i see it as more of a co-equal partnership there what does move me about the moment though is that when when the revolve starts uh moving and angelica is taken away stage left and hamilton's hand is outstretched to her right he's looking stage left and while eliza is moving into the scene also on the revolve facing away from him so she's facing stage right she enters the scene before hamilton does if that makes sense like she's already singing to hamilton even though she can't see him yet her character is already in the scene with hamilton before hamilton enters the scene and so when she lands in front of him i i think what what that's doing is like hey like focus it's going to be okay. But at the same time, I, do, I don't think it suggests that Angelica is more important to him than her. Yeah, I agree. Maybe, um, I, maybe that was the wrong wording. I agree with exactly what you're saying is how I feel. So it's I, just a I transition, you know? Yeah. Um, but what, what strikes me about the moment, honestly, is this is another time where Eliza is the comfort to Hamilton. She's the one losing her sister. You know, he has lost his girlfriend maybe but like she's <laughs> known her for much longer right and once again eliza is the one that comforts him like she truly is best of wives and best of women and, and better than he deserves you know and uh, and philippa sue is better than we deserve as well because her performance here in these few lines i mean it breaks my heart man 
because there's this pleading nature to it, right? And it's like, as soon as Angelica is gone, like, have her come in and be like, hey, puppy, be yeah. with me. Just just be with me in this moment, you know? Yeah, like, would that be enough is what she says. And like Hamilton does, we don't, we, we get like a minute of song time before it's not enough. And he's going to run off to be the treasury secretary, <laughs> right? right? So, so, so yeah, like Eliza's like pleading here, like, and it, like, can your wife share a fraction, a fraction of your time? Like, if I could grant you peace of mind, would that be enough? And we're about to find out, like, no, it wouldn't to Hamilton. Like, that's not yeah. enough. It's a complicated moment because I think that Hamilton's frustration and grief at losing Angelica is compounded by the idea that just a few years ago he lost Lawrence. And so part of you says, well, I understand him being despondent and hurt here. But then the other part of it is why in that moment would you not cling to Eliza because she's there for you and they are not. But given the opportunity, he leaves again. Yeah, we're, we're not even there yet because before he leaves again there's this whole constitution business we have to sort out oh what a mess that's gonna be so Bert can we go- get back to politics please yeah. <laughs> um right this whole this little thing called the constitution i wonder how that baby's gonna turn out in 200 mm-hmm. and some odd years um so burr goes into full like talking narration mode here very rare that this mm-hmm. happens in this musical it happens a couple times where characters are just speaking um but alex this is so funny again the song is very humorous i'm gonna point it out every time um basically what we learn alexander james madison john day write these essays a few little tidbits to point out um what's cool here is you have alexander and james madison working together just keep that in the back of your minds for uh act two where they will not work together as well um so that's a fun little thing here is we're introduced to james madison a little bit before he comes on the stage in act two but mostly the best part of this little it's just exposition like hey the federalist papers are cool hamilton wrote the other 51 the way leslie odom jr delivers that line it might as well be like and this fucking guy is superman like how on earth did he write 51? Like, the way he says it with, like, such conviction and disbelief that he almost can't even believe that it's a fact. It's one of those, like, can you believe this is true? Like, he wrote the other 51. I don't know. The way he delivers that line is some of the best line delivery in the musical. Yeah, that man truly has no ceiling. Like, he is always going to surprise you by having another gear that he can switch to when he needs it, right? That is definitely one of those moments. I I want to specifically call out the fact that we are in plain speech here. We're no longer in verse. We've slipped into prose. And I think that is because, and I and I love this choice, it's because there's no way to heighten this truth any further. Like you cannot the the, the what these three men did, specifically what Hamilton did with his 51, is so staggering. You can't make it any more impressive by putting it in music. If you just say exactly what happened clearly and distinctly in prose, it is impressive enough, right? And just this this simple breaking it down to plain text, I think, is an elegant choice to just point out how important Burr and, on a meta level, the creative team think it is. It's also a little bit of addition by subtraction because it's not being sung. You notice it more regardless of what it is because like mm-hmm. the whole musical is, is a song and this isn't 
like singing. This is just talking. It stands out even if you're just saying absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it was uh if it was spoken instead of sung, but all that was being said was I need to go to the store and buy cantaloupes, you would wonder why are the cantaloupes so important? Because it's not being spoken it's yeah, not being sung. They're, you they're know? talking about the but cantaloupes. Yeah, yeah. They're not singing about the cantaloupes. Yeah, that's different. Also, you know? can and we yeah, sorry. I was just gonna say differences are important, right? They're noteworthy. When you've got the whole show being sung through and this is not, it really does call attention, yeah. I just want to give a shout out quickly here in the style of uh, Henry Knox and the other dude, uh, John Jay. One of the like, <laughs> who the fuck is this guy? Like he seems like in this moment really important, <laughs> and would never like <laughs> he's. Is it better just to not be mentioned in the musical? Like it's a tough look for John Jay. He's one of the three people in the musical universe to write the Federalist Papers, which are really important because we're talking about them and not singing about them. This is the only time we hear, speak of, talk about, like tough look for our guy, John Jay here. I definitely think it's worth shouting him out. He was one of three, what you know, three? maybe he should have done a little thing. He should have been, you know, doing some more to have history remember him better. But like that, you know, he was a contributor to the Federalist Papers. Right. Like, like just <laughs> we just need to pour one out for John Jay here, who, who is Alexander and James Madison are going to be very prevalent in the back half of this musical. And John Jay is not. So pour one out <laughs> if you're just watch, listening to this and the like, grab a whiskey, pour one out for John Jay. Someone that you probably never heard of until you wa- listen to the musical. Someone that you'll probably forget exists by the time the musical's over. But is an important part of American history all the same. Yeah. Well, and while we're on the subject of John Jay, you know, let's let's give him a little love. He was one of the signatories present for the signing of the peace treaty between England and the United States, right? He was a very well-respected diplomat. Um, and he was... Um, later uh governor of new york if i remember right but most importantly and and why it's great to um or most importantly in my opinion why it's important to remember his his presence in generating the federalist papers um he was the first chief justice of the united states and so he was like one of the the first people that actually practiced all of this law built on the back of what he wrote in the Federalist Papers, you know? So yeah, definitely pour one out for our man, John Jay. He deserves it. He had a he had a hell of a life, man. He really yeah, did. Yeah, when Lin-Manuel wants to do another musical about somebody who doesn't get enough credit, John Jay will be hitting Broadway shortly, I'm sure. <laughs> that would be an interesting life, wouldn't that? Okay, anyways, sorry. <laughs> um, after, you're totally right that uh, Leslie Odom Jr. has like just an unlimited amount of different modes he can go to because right after he says Hamilton wrote the other 51 that comes across as just like sheer disbelief. And then immediately Mm -hmm. it's like the same line. He goes back into like, how do you write? Like you're running out of time, but that is almost just exasperation. Like he just, it's not disbelief anymore. He's just tired. Like he's like, he's like exhausted trying to figure this out. Like just that immediate flip in the same line from, from just complete and utter like hyped up disbelief to just kind of this hyped up exasperation. Like they sound kind of similar, but they're very different. It's fascinating. Leslie Odom's a hero. There's also a little bit of venom in his delivery here, isn't there? I like it. You know, there's, it's got some barbs on it. 
Yeah, it does. It's very, it's very like antagonistic, right? He's the he is the antagonist for for this musical. It's called Hamilton. It's not called Burr, right? Mm-hmm. And so like he does have to be antagonistic at some point. And this is like, yeah, he's it's venomous for sure. We also have here the ensemble coming in and go going right. Like they kind of join Burr in this kind of figuring out like he's writing like he's running out of time. Do you think this is a choice by Lin-Manuel to keep hyping up the running out of time aspect? Not because that's how Lin or not. That's not how Hamilton would feel as a character in this musical, but more because we know that he dies. Like one of the first thing we know is we know is that Burr kills him. Right, we learned that in, in Alexander Hamilton at the top of the the musical. So, do you think this running out of time is is there to for us to reference, like, oh, like because we know he is at some point running out of time. We're not exactly sure when, but do you think that's there for us, or do you think it's there for the characters, or both? Yes, I think it's both. I think that it's it's the audience and also curiously, Burr and Hamilton, uh, w- which I consider to be an unconventional choice. It's uncommon to have the chorus be reflexive of something that would be going on in the mind of protagonist and antagonist at the same time. I think you don't often get that in a musical, in my experience. Um, But they're saying the same words in order to support both Hamilton and Burr, and that support comes in very different forms, right? What they're saying, it's all the identical lyrics. But when they sing it with Burr, it's to support that consternation and confusion that he feels, to to support Burr's inner monologue of how are you doing this? And and how like and how am I how am I going to deal with it? Right? Because clearly Burr's processing a lot. He's this is his moment to be a mess of shit, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But when they're singing with Hamilton, they are referencing and supporting things we've seen from him before think things that we've seen in act one we get you know how do you write like tomorrow won't arrive like you need it to survive that reminds me of i'm imagine death so much it feels more like a memory this guy does not trust that tomorrow is promised to him he doesn't he cannot wait for it he has seen too many people die and lose their opportunity. Well, and he was fully willing to that die. Tomorrow is promised. What'd you say? He was fully willing to die. Like he'd yeah. tell Washington Australia, like, I'll go and die. Like that's fine with me. Right. So if he's going to be willing to do that, he needs to get as much done today as possible. And so yeah, there's a duality in the chorus here and their lyrics supporting Hamilton and Burr at the same time. It's, it, it, but also as we've discussed before, channeling our, as an audience, right? They're also uh, channeling our POV. They're functioning as an avatar for the audience going, yeah, how how did he do all that? That actually is impressive. Like, he did what now? What? Protean creator of the Coast Guard? What, all, all of that? Like, he did what? You know? It's, founder <laughs> that is, founder that of is the def- New York Post? Yeah, like that definitely is a current that runs through the whole show. And this is just another instance of it, for sure. Um, One of the most visceral moments of the whole musical is like, as this is going on, 
when you hit to that, like, there's a moment here where the full the full ensemble is singing these lines, like, how do you rally tomorrow when I arrive? And it just hits you like a truck. And the lights are just bright white and just on Hamilton. And the whole ensemble is standing around him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's riding on this, like, tilted table. And he looks, like, super stressed. But just, like, the height, like, it's like, a, it's like an out-of-body, like, heightened experience with the lighting. And like it just get the audio gets so much louder and it, it kind of has it reminds me of like um um uh whatever song it is where oh what is it called like they're battering down the battery check the damages I can't remember what the song is called uh right where they're going like boom over and over again yeah I'm very much reminded of that here right it's the same kind of like every every couple of beats there's just this big boom moment like uh, it's on the word how like how do you write like it's very very visceral because it's the whole company and all the lighting it's on all the audio like it's everything together just hyper focused on hamilton it's a really dynamic moment it really is it's beautiful it's it's like it's one of those like holy it's one of those moments where you're like i didn't know musicals could do that like holy shit like that is cool right like i like that burr stands apart in that moment too i think that's important yeah, it's it's crucially important that he is not part of this writing till he's every second you're alive kind of guy. Mm-hmm. That's just not him, <laughs> right? And like by this point too, you almost forgot your frustration with Burke because you're just like, holy, f- this is cool. Like this is so cool what I'm watching. <laughs> like you almost you almost like don't even care because like okay, get out of here, Burr. like I'm watching Hamilton be cool right now. Can you leave? Like uh, you decided not to be cool five minutes ago, and I want to watch Hamilton do something cool right now. Well, yeah, again, that's the thing. You uh you get wrapped up in the magic of musical theater, man. Yeah, it, and it, there's there's some, this song it just it has like it has its dips and it has like it goes down a little bit. It has its changes in dynamics, but the energy level is just always moving up towards the button. Right. You know? Absolutely. It's always like there's just more things coming. Yeah. After Hamilton is finished writing. Um, which was very dynamic and intense. Washington shows up on the scene. We're going to wrap up his arc here for Act 1. They are asking him to lead. Uh, he's doing the best he can. Um, he needs his right hand, man. And then I, I love what I love most about this moment is Hamilton's just like, treasure your state. Like, he knows. He knows exactly like yeah, what Washington's going to yeah. be thinking. Like, where do you want me? How different would this be if he had chosen state? I have no idea, right? But of course, it's the Treasury Department. And then Washington, like... Washington's trying to convince Hamilton and Hamilton just does not need convincing here. Right. Washington's like, Oh, I know it's a lot to ask. And Hamilton's like, yo, can we get like, I'll, I'll start work right now. Like this second, (laughs) like, I don't need, you don't need to convince me of this. Yeah. See, these are the remarks that I believe were prepared. Washington had a whole speech ready and he practiced it (laughs) over and over. How am I going to convince him to do this? Like he's going to have to leave his wife and kids. Like, how is this? Yeah. And then, but no, it's not, it's not a hard sell. And, you know, once again, this is another brilliant moment from Lynn after Washington says state or no, he says treasury and Lynn just looks out and says, let's go. Right. Like he's so ready. He's like, so he, he will never be satisfied. And then immediately Eliza's like, Alexander, like, what the f- are you doing? Like mm-hmm. what? Like, like, like he, he just does like he the way this moment is portrayed like he didn't give a single thought to eliza like he wants to be the treasury secretary and he's gonna do it regardless so eliza kind of pops in and goes alexander and he goes i have to leave not i want to leave not hey can we talk about this 
new job I might do. Like, hey, do you want to move to the other part of New York so I can be the treasury? Like, whatever the logistics are. He's like, I have to leave. Very telling from Hamilton here. Very indeed. And it's also disingenuous. I I know it's difficult to turn down an offer from George Washington to, to be in the first presidential cabinet. I get it. But you could at least talk to Eliza about it. You know? Or even and if it's just pretend. Add insult to, or pretend to think about it. <laughs> right? But like, like oh, sorry, what really ahead. drives me crazy here is him turning her words oh, on him. I was just about to say this. Then Hamilton gets on his fucking bullshit gravy train here. Yeah. Oh my God. Both times. This, like, is, oh. this is like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done, done with so Hamilton done with here. Hamilton. Absolutely. <laughs> Look around at that how lucky cold. we are to be alive right now. Fuck you, Hamilton. Sorry for swearing. Mm-hmm. This is a podcast for adults because this is ridiculous from Hamilton here. Absolutely criminal. Get out yeah, of here. He, he knows for a fact that that's not what she meant when she said that the first time. And he's saying, and now he's flipping it back on her, but it's just so disingenuous. He is lucky in this moment. Eliza is one of the most unlucky characters in the entire story. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's total. It's to, It's a total sack of shit. And then the fact that he's like, they're asking me to lead. That's not what Washington meant either. Like, Washington no. being asked to lead and him asking you to lead were very different situations, mate. Like, that is not at all. Like, he just turns what Washington said to him around on Eliza, but completely loses the context of it along the way. It's, I mean, I mean, look, what's he going to do? He's never going to be satisfied. He's an Icarus that flies too close to the sun. Of course, Hamilton's going to do this. But, man, is it frustrating to watch. Again, in the best way, it's Hamilton. It's a well-written character, but good lord. Well, yeah, this is one of those moments where it's a bit like, you know, this is definitely the story is presented to us in the classical mode where we kind of know exactly what's going to happen. It's what are the mistakes that are made along the way that lead to it? And this one, you're like, oh, well, here's a big piece of the puzzle. All right, here we go. But uh, yeah, they're asking me to lead parentheses. The Treasury Department. Right, yeah. <laughs> it sounds slightly less, <laughs> slightly less important, although it was, I mean, hugely Usually crucial. Um, and it and he was not insignificant, as we'll see in Act Two. Um, it was actually the biggest government department at this point. Like he was he was overseeing the largest part of the cabinet. It was bigger than the state or war department. Um and so I'm sure he felt honored. Uh but yeah, it doesn't change the doesn't change the fact that he's being a jerk to Betsy here. Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite parts of the whole musical kind of comes from this, though, because Angelica pops in to go, he will never be satisfied. Then Washington pops in that says, history has his eyes on you. Um, Then isn't this enough? Would that be enough? Pops in. And then why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you write like you're running? All of these themes, lots of them that are mostly coming from this song, but lots of callbacks to other songs are all playing at the same time, just kind of at us and at Hamilton. And it kind of gives us an insight into his into his his just kind of just his brain here a little bit i guess because it's all of these things this is where it's very similar to in the heights is that it's all of these things that we've kind of learned and talked about throughout the act culminating here in one huge moment with hamilton where he um where he's kind of standing there and we'll talk about this moment but he's kind of standing there with one hand in angelica's hand and one hand in Eliza's hand. And I, I always assume this is happening like in his head because Angelica's in London. Like this is all happening mm-hmm. 
in his head right now so he can justify it to us the audience or to himself um right and so to me it's just a very cool way of kind of getting in a character's head here with all of these themes being broadcast by the ensemble and the other characters on stage just kind of at the same time yeah because you can imagine that if you got this big opportunity right you could also be a little you know you could reflect on what in your life brought you to that point right and thinking about what you're going to do next in the context of a musical the best way to express that is reprising previous themes that are relevant to those thoughts going through his head and relevant to the people he's next to it just so happens that at the end of this act we reprise almost everything almost everything (laughs) alexander hamilton my shot satisfied history has its eyes that would be enough it's the uh it's the hamilton mixtape you know it, it it's all of it put together it's in, it's it, it, it's incredible and then hamilton has this is like this is the perfect end this this kind of ending bit is where i think and i again i don't know a lot about in the heights like i've only listened to the soundtrack which isn't really fair right but this is to me this ending bit here it's just a neck a little bit of a next level above because i don't even know a perfect way a more perfect way to end this act hamilton goes i'm not throwing away my shot and he yanks his hands like very like aggressively out of angelica and eliza's and again i'm interpreting this like it's happening in his head not that this is happening like in real life and then he runs toward the stairs to kind of climb up to where washington is which thematically makes sense because that's where he's going it's like work with washington right but burr is blocking the staircase and he kind of just like runs through burr a little bit like Burr just barely moves out of the way and immediately blocks the staircase again. Like it's very thematic that he's kind of just like running full speed ahead and Burr is kind of just standing in the way and gets not like run over. Like he moves out of the way, but thematically that's always stuck out to me. It's like, Oh, Burr's just nothing. Like he's just like he, Hamilton's running at full speed. And if Burr wants to stand there, cool, but he's going up those stairs regardless. Yeah. I think it is important that we see Burr step aside for Hamilton there. Um, I also think that staircase being introduced here, uh, first of all, huge moment when that thing starts moving with Washington on top of it on history has its eyes on you. Right. Of because course, it's the yeah. fir- first time we've seen that move in the show. And, you know, there's something new coming act two, but also we get at the end of act one, as w- we were promised earlier, we get to see Hamilton's ascendancy. He literally ascends the stairs. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and he stands at the right hand of the father. It's just there's so much brilliance tucked into that little moment. Um, I adore it a lot. I really do. And the sheer cacophony of everybody singing together and just the, the power in that moment. It, it really does. It, it leaves you leaving act one feeling i i think satisfied but also it's a bit it's a bit ballsy right because if you if you do this okay you do a number like this at the end of act one you're promising to do something more in act two you know like because you can't like you can't just shoot everything out in act one you have to reserve some energy for act two right yeah, and there's so a this lot of self-confidence like really a, here. Like, yeah, we got this. Yeah. Like, if you yeah. think this is the this is only the beginning, like we've got this in Act Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are we are not going to disappoint. Yeah, it's really compelling. 
you know. I'm not gonna lie. Like when we get to the cabinet battles, that first time I was like, "Oh fuck, are they really doing like like they really do have it in Act Two? Because you think this is like because I don't go to a lot of musicals, right? I've seen mm-hmm. all the main ones maybe once, and it's like in Vancouver off Broadway with like not the best cast, right? So my lame mm-hmm. is is different than a lot of people's lame is experience, right? Probably not <laughs> as good as going to the Broadway version, and so. Uh, when I was watching this, and they like they because like, here I'm talking about Yorktown and and nonstop is really two songs that kind of transcend what I thought was possible in like a musical going experience, and then you get to Act Two, and there's still shit in there where you're like I didn't even know musicals could do this, like the cabinet battles. You're like oh, I didn't even know this was in this was never even in my realm of expectation. So you're totally right. There's a lot of self confidence here, and obviously we're doing this podcast, so we think that they nail it in act two yeah as well but i think they do too you know and i think that uh un they they do that uh in this show in a way that is not as successful as in the heights you know it's it's one of the reasons i enjoy comparing them um when i uh when i first heard in the heights i just didn't quite get the energy shift between act one and act two um but this uh this show really holds its own you know all the way through and act two is just as dynamic and compelling as act one. It's just like, this is really, this is a bold, bold number. But then at the top of act two, it's like, oh yeah, they do have another gear to shift into. All right, let's go. You know? Absolutely. So we've hit the end of the lyrics here for nonstop. How are you feeling about act one in general? Maybe how nonstop kind of finishes act one. Maybe just we're going to talk a lot about Act One probably in the in the in between episode or two that we do between acts, but just general thoughts like how do you how do you feel about Act One and and nonstop as a part of that? Well, I don't know if there is a more successful ending of Act One song. I, I think that this the way Act One ends is a hot take maybe, but whatever. But like that's one of this show's major contributions to the American canon. And once you start breaking down everything that happens in the song and everything that ties back to to previous numbers and how there is a bow put on this act while still feeling a a sense of propulsion into act two, it's just, it's one of the most successful end of act one numbers ever. And I like, you can't ask for more than that. I mean, it's just damn impressive. It just really, really is. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. I think it's one of those songs that I was just wowed by it the first time. And I, I think it's incredible that it, not only can it wow like a theater noob just as like a piece of art that you're watching, but then the more you think about it and the more you dive into it, the better it gets almost, right? Like there's never a point where you're listening to nonstop where it gets worse or more annoying or like more repetitive or anything than the last time you listened to it, which is really hard to do. Because think like if you... A lot of people like if you locked me in a room and played this song over and over again, I'll just give you the information you want. Like you don't even need to torture me type of thing. Like, oh, just lock me in the room and play like blue by Eiffel 65 six times. And I'll let <laughs> I'll let you know anything you need to know. Right. Whereas like you put me in a room and put on nonstop 65 times. I don't think I hate that. I think I probably just jam out to it. Like it'll get annoying eventually. But the fact that this song yeah. gets better and better and better and better every time I listen to it is awesome. Yeah, I agree. Hamilton's not going to make me give up the launch codes. No, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. 
Um, all right. Well, is there anything else for, for nonstop that you wanted? To, we have a lot. We have 10 pages of notes, and we did not get to them all. So is there anything in there that you're like, oh, man, I really want to bring that up before we finish? I, I think it was a pretty loyal analysis, honestly. I'm actually pretty actually pretty pleased. I liked it because there was some still there was some stuff that we covered in the first episode as well that's still relevant, right? Right, that is wanna... true. We did talk a lot about like the Latin aspects yeah. of it in the last episode. I don't, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be redundant, you know. Right, Hamil. Let's dive deep. Hamilton is officially against redundancy. You heard it oh, here absolutely. first. We are we are yeah. uh, we are pro some things, but we are not pro redundancy. We are pro efficiency and elegance. <laughs> If I call this podcast elegant, efficient, or or, or efficient, it's two two and a half hours long on the average. <laughs> Is it efficient? I just couldn't help myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna believe it's efficient and elegant, so I feel good. But I'm not sure it's an efficient or elegant <laughs> podcast. But I hope you had fun with this episode of the the podcast. Are we good to to wrap her up? absolutely and what are we doing next we've got some fun stuff oh yeah so let's do a quick reminder so next up we haven't we'll probably talk about it right after we finish recording here to know exactly what we're going to do we definitely need to do one episode of some kind that kind of just deals with the characters that are leaving us right there's a lot peggy is one of them lawrence is one of them you have a lot of these characters that were in the musical in act one maybe it's just a quick one hour podcast just kind of hit the main beats of those characters, what we loved about them, their significance to the story, just kind of wrap them up a little bit because not a lot of them were present in the outro here. So just get to say, hey, we appreciate you. Thanks for coming on Hamilton, um, but we're moving on to the next act. So that's probably a one hour podcast. That means like five hours for us, but like it could be a one hour uh, <laughs> podcast. And then we definitely need your questions at let's dive deep pod at gmail.com because we are going to do some sort of fun, right? Fun mid um kind of in between act kind of Q&A episode. I know we really want to kind of put the Hamilton characters in Harry Potter houses and that's really fun. Like that type of fun stuff. So if any questions about the musical or the characters, maybe that can be one episode with our character analysis. If you have any questions about the or just like a general Q&A about Hamilton, like just any kind of fun questions like where would you put the Hamilton characters in Harry Potter houses? Right or like what is your I don't want to use Harry Potter too often, but what is your Hamilton Quidditch team or like whatever those Right. Or like Hamilton, like which Hamilton character is which Avenger? Like those types of questions can be um, another episode. So in another case for you listening, send all of those questions and comments to let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. Or if you follow Connor and I on anything else or, you know, us in real life, just like anywhere that you can find us. Yeah, I've gotten a couple uh, directly from people, so I'm excited to dig into those. Absolutely. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Let's Dive Deep. Man, two hours on one song feels great, though. I think we did a really good analysis of, of nonstop. It's a tricky one to kind of wrap everything up with. But thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode today. Just a reminder before we let you go that you can head over to Twitter at Let's Dive Deep and email and our email address at Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. Please, please, please head over to both those platforms. Let us know anything you want us to talk about in the next couple of episodes between acts. And then what we'll do is we'll chat about exactly what those episodes will look like and tweet that out and put that in discords and stuff to make sure people are aware of exactly what the schedule is going to be. But you can expect going into act two that it'll be the same kind of ideally weekly thing. I'm going back to work full time. So hopefully weekly, fingers crossed. 
Um, hopefully we'll be able to keep it up. But yeah, just thank you guys so much for watching and or listening. It's a podcast, Brad. Come on, you've got this. And we will see you in the next one.